Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. If you haven't played Party Power Fantasy yet, you're missing out. But on the upside, if you haven't played it yet, you qualify for a risk-free first go. Get up to £20 back as cash when you play Paddy Power Fantasy. And because every NFL game day is a season in itself, you don't have to wait to find out if you've won. Paddy Power Fantasy. Hate waiting, love winning. New customer offer. Min £5, max £20 refund. T's and C's apply. Paddy Power Fantasy rules apply. 18 plus begumbleware.org. Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombe Show presented by Paddy Power Fantasy. Happy New Year, everybody. I hope 2020 is going to plan so far in the small sample size that we have uh, today. I tell you what, it's not going to plan for a number of head coaches in the NFL, though, or I should say ex-head coaches. And that is what I and Mike and I are going to be getting into for the most part today. Black Monday, and that's rolling on into the week. Uh, and which coaches have gone, which coaches have survived, and who might be heading into the frame for those vacancies. So it's a coaching carousel special on the Nat Coombe Show this week. Uh, don't forget, we're back Friday uh, with our wildcard weekend preview. Comedian Marek Larwood in the house. So that should be fun uh, at ESPN HQ. So that drops Friday. But for this show, all about the coaches. Enjoy. Happy New Year. I'm Mike. Happy New Year, guys. Uh, you know, it's got to be a better decade than the last one. Well, you know, a better yeah. year than the last one. Last True. decade wasn't so bad in some ways. We don't want to run off the whole decade. There were some high points in it as well as uh, as well as low points. But yeah, fresh start. How many decades is this for you now? I'm, a lot. Uh, <laughs> do we move on? <laughs> hey, was it the running order? What can I say? <laughs> yeah, you see, I, I came, I came along, I came along in a um, second year of a decade, you know, in, and so that oh. that means I, I see, I see a whole lot of them. Uh, somber note, um, oh, non-football, but a happy note, yeah. sporting, but but somber. Two two deaths already. Um, yeah. First, David Stern, the commissioner of the NBA. Um, who you could say was probably after Pete Rozelle, the most influential commissioner in American sports, um, you know, and certainly responsible for opening up the Olympics to professionals. Uh, you know, he knew like Rozelle, he knew what he had and he knew what to do with it. 
Um, and, you know, Roselle knew that TV was going to make the NFL big and, and, um, Stern recognized that the sort of new TV, um, and the ESPN and Sports Center and all that was going to help make the NBA big. And then just last night, Don Larson died, who, um, was a pitcher for the New York Yankees who threw the only perfect game in World Series history. Um, and so he was a journeyman pitcher. Uh, but he threw this one great game and, uh, beat the Brooklyn Dodgers. Uh, Yogi Berra jumped into his arms uh, after the last pitch. Uh, it's a nice little story. There's a, there's a good clip of it on ESPN if you want to look at it. Go check it out. Yeah, I love that. So he had 90 last I'm seeing. Yeah, he, um, I love those stories where you have, as you said, journeyman, uh, and let's not write that off. I think it's easy to do that sometimes when somebody, you know, is playing for the New York Yankees, made it as a pro, but because they're not a superstar, it's quite easy to write off these careers that people that have made it all this way, but n- never really do anything exceptional. Larson manages to add that moment in his career as well, which will always be remembered for. With Stern, Mike. Yeah. So era-wise, because obviously it was the Jordan, Shaq, uh, 80s, 90s. That was his, was that his heyday, really? Was that, yeah, how he, long was came, he was lucky in a sense because he came in. The NBA was at a low point sort of in the late 70s. And he came in in time to ride the Larry Bird Magic Johnson rivalry, which mm-hmm. sort of started bringing back fans who, who, um, you know, had looked at the late seventies games as being a bunch of overpaid drug addicts running up and down <laughs> the court with no, no, uh, reason. And then of course, Jordan came along to add to that. And then as you say, Shaq and a couple of other superstars, and he knew that the league would sell itself on superstars. And he was again, lucky in that the, the sort of sports center, 24 hour cable, thing needed superstars and needed spectacular plays and he knew the nba was going to offer that and he had the vision to like connect with international basketball and with the ioc um to help a bit with the whole the whole hip-hop culture connection as well absolutely yeah and and the music came along you know and the nba had an amazing growth um internationally and and still you know still has a big spot internationally and of course the nba is full of of foreign players as, as international basketball catches up very quickly with with the united states but was he knocked for that? It was, was, I guess, my question, Stern, that presided over that growth and that pop culture crossover with hip hop. But didn't he take, were that detractors that felt he was quite exploitative there? Um, I don't think so. Mm. Um, I don't, I don't think it, it went too far, you know, in, in the sense of the tail wagging the dog. Mm. Um, and I think it's interesting that, that, uh, you know, Jay Z has, has hooked up with the NFL, um, at, at this point, uh, as in a, but, he just he managed to also keep he he managed to keep the league going forward positively for virtually all of his reign as as commissioner, which is a very difficult thing to do in in pro in any pro sport uh, because the owners have different you know different visions of what they want to do the players the players and the players association you have to work with and and basically as the pie was growing he kept everybody happy there I, I think he did a, a really good job for what it was apart from you know being accused of faking the draft so that Patrick Ewing would go to the New York Knicks um, which <laughs> which I still believe in that conspiracy theory. You know, go to the video. This is the Zapruder film of the NBA. <laughs> what did he do? Was it was it when they were drawing it out of a 
a bag like FA Cup draws stuff. Yeah, it was it was like that, <laughs> and uh, in an envelope, and and you know the conspiracy theorists would say, oh, there's his hand. You know, you can see him looking for the the idea was they said one of them they kept in a freezer so he could tell which one it was. That was the, that was the conspiracy theory. <laughs> Doesn't make any sense that they would try and favor such a small market team as the New York Knicks. I'm not buying it for it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I uh, wrote a poem about Don oh, Larson. I wrote a poem about Don Larson, which has been published in a number of places. I'll, I'll find it and put it up. But, but great. Well, let's dig that out, Mike. Maybe post it on your Patreon or in your Patreon column, and we can link out to it. That ah, way. Patreon. Iron Mike versus the machine. You probably oh, yeah. want the final update. I think I don't think our listeners have been looking forward to anything more than the final update of that. That's right. Well, going in as as I said, you know, we, the machine AccuScore and I were tied at the NFL PickWatch site. Although I'm not on the PickWatch site, although the the guys have been in touch with me, and I probably will be if we continue in the future. Well, that's um, amazing. Hang on. Whoa, whoa, and then yeah, you're going to be on pick, you're gonna pick watch next season. Probably. Yeah. Oh, legend. Okay. And then, um, and then, so going into week 17 though, we had each been pat, we were still tied, but we were in second place, one game behind, um, um, a human being, <laughs> Christian <laughs> D'Andrea. And in week 17, uh, D'Andrea went, I think, eight and eight. So he dropped out of contention. Mm. AccuScore was 11 and five in the ever, the ever difficult week 17. Yeah, it's week 17 and Iron Mike Accuscore. was 12 and four. Iron so, Mike. So Iron Mike finished the season one game ahead of the machine and, um, you know, have, have been sending out triumphal tweets ever since. I'm not, that doesn't surprise me. Uh, uh, one job. Well, congratulations, Iron Mike. We're proud of you. And, um, how's AccuScore taken the news? And he, is he, oh, I don't know. You know, I, I think they had a, get the three-in-one oil out and, you know, re- re-solder some of the connections. <laughs> How close to it, do you think, was the final week, week 17, you versus Aki score to the final scenes of Rocky Four? <laughs> you were still <laughs> Aki score as Dolph Lundgren. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I just have this vision of myself up at 4.30 in the morning, breaking a couple of eggs into a glass <laughs> and then sitting down to pick the games. I think you should just get up in front of everybody. I could change. You could change. Everybody could change. And that's how we'll, uh, we'll wrap it until <laughs> next season's picks. Well, you know, the regular season is done and dusted, uh, but the playoffs roll on. We're going to get into uh, a wildcard preview special with Marek Larwood in the house on Friday to get into that. So looking forward oh, yeah, to that. The NFL have let him go. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I thought he was like next in line for the Dallas Cowboys coaching job. He's still harboring dreams of making it as a quarterback, of course, I'm like the NFL, <laughs> all these years later. Uh, so Marek in the house uh, tomorrow, that is. We're recording this Thursday morning. It's so a Friday. Uh, we'll be looking ahead to the weekend, uh, Saturday games as well as Sunday, of course, when it comes to the Wild Cup for, for you newbies along for the first uh, playoffs uh, this year. So make sure you uh, set your clocks for that. But we'll get into break down those games in more detail. And I, Mike, of course, will do that on his Patreon, aforementioned Patreon column, patreon.com forward slash uh, Mike Carlson, FMTE. But today we want to concentrate primarily on Black Monday and uh, or in the Dallas Cowboys case, Black someday at some point in the future <laughs> gray <laughs> monday gray monday. <laughs> yeah. gray monday already some changes made other changes inevitable but just haven't been announced yet back to jason garrett and the cowboys so we'll look at everything that's happened so far and get mike's perspective on uh, what might happen at uh, various franchises and coaches or coordinators in the frame to move into gigs we've got uh, a mailbag as well we're going to dive into a few of your questions at the nc show uh Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter is how you get in touch with us. Uh, and Mike's top five, starting 2020 off on a high and a positive uh, cerebral note, the top five disappointing players. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way to start. <laughs> way to motivate, Mike. Way to motivate. Let's push, let's push 2019 away and, and forget about them. <laughs> so let's get, we'll get into that in a bit. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, the, uh, and if Baker Mayfield's not on that list, Mike, there's going to be serious trouble. Um, let, we'll, we'll start with the Browns. The, that wasn't deliberate, by the way, but Freddie Kitchens is on my list, of course, is on the list of uh, casualties that haven't made it past Black Monday. One and done, much like uh, Rob Jadinsky was a few years back at the Browns. And a lot has been made, Mike, in the aftermath of the perpe- seemingly perpetual transition at Cleveland that they get through uh, head coaches quicker than anybody else. And it's a little bit unfair because they chuck in a few interim coaches in there. Greg Williams, for example, counts as a coach because he, the head coach, because he ran them for a few games last season. But nevertheless, it is undeniable that they are, compared to the Pittsburgh Steelers, for example, their rivals, uh, completely different in, in recent times in terms of trying to create long-term stability and, uh, and therefore long-term success. So it, bearing that in mind, although Kitchens clearly underperformed this year and, and the Browns underperformed this year, was it a mistake to get rid of them after one year? I don't think so, because I, I think what you saw was that was that Freddie Kitchens in that particular situation, especially was in over his head as a head coach. Uh, remember, he, he had been promoted. He wasn't even the offensive coordinator when he was promoted um, to the head head coaching job last year. And I part of the reason for their success toward toward that year was simply the change, I think. It, it just, you know, changing the atmosphere, uh, which is often as effective as changing schemes or whatever. And, you know, unfortunately, on that team, with the addition, say, of Odell Beckham in particular, he was, he was taking over a team with um, – shall we say, discipline problems or, or potential discipline problems. And he, he didn't really have the, the gravitas, I think, to be able to um, to handle that. I, and I also think that, that teams caught up to what he wanted to do with um, Baker Mayfield, at least, um, from, based on the tape from the last half of last year, and were able to scheme against that. And he wasn't able to counter scheme well enough. You know, I, I think Freddie Kitchen should, should get another job as a coordinator somewhere. Um, you know, I think he's inventive enough, um, and, uh, probably has the credential, the, the temperament to be a good coordinator on the right team. But, uh, you know, I, I wasn't surprised at all that he went in Cleveland. And a little bit more surprising was that John Dorsey went, the general manager, which means they pretty much now have to come up with a general manager before you come up with a coach. Um, or else get them as a package. And that's why a lot of people are talking about Josh McDaniels and Nick Casario as the the package deal. And you remember McDaniels was going to go to Indianapolis last year and then changed his mind. Um, That's possible the Patriots offered him the head coaching job when Bill retires, but the question is how long will he have to wait for that? Um, And Casario was going to go to Houston to work on to work with Bill O'Brien when they had the shake up there. Um, another ex expatriate, obviously. Um, but Casario and McDaniel's played in college together. They're close friends, and they could be a package deal for some team. Now, whether you know whether that team is Cleveland, whether you want to move into a Jimmy Haslam owned situation or not, without a whole lot of guarantees about um, you know what you can do and what you can spend and how much freedom you'll have, I don't know. But that's to me that's a really interesting theory. Um, and without knowing the Josh McDaniels contractual situation, um, I don't know whether it's going to happen or not. But but that would make sense that you ditch your general manager because you've already got one in mind. Got lined up. That is really interesting. I want to talk more about McDaniels and 
and situation as well, which you, you, you've touched upon there and, and certain hot coordinators or, or, or head coaches wanting the right situation more than others, right? For, for some, it's more important than others. In terms I mean, you, yeah, if you're, if you're an offensive minded coach and you think you can work with Baker Mayfield or, or you have in mind a free agent, you know, maybe it was, but sure. you know, you're walking into a loaded situation yeah. if you can convince Odell Beckham to stay and, and be on board with everything else you got you know you got Nick Chubb you, you, you've got Landry, Landry yeah. you've got Beckham you've got Njoku you know yeah. it's it's you've got a pretty solid offensive line with yeah. with maybe one exception you know, it, it should it should be for the same reasons that everyone was saying that they were a playoff contender this year yeah it's a, it's a decent gig in, in that respect for sure just on the general manager change and, and Dorsey who again hasn't been in the gig very long and I remember because they had Sashi and, and that crew and I think that was all uh, very much a uh, look at us being very progressive and we're doing things differently they didn't last very long and Dorsey came in it's only a couple of years as well so it isn't just and point taken about the, the the tag team of the head coach a lot of the time but it isn't just the turbulence and the uh, impermanence of the head coaching situation, but it's also the front office as well. Uh, why do the Browns, why does this keep happening with the Cleveland Browns? Is it is this down to uh, a, a, an ownership that is just inefficient and out of its depth or just bad at, at, at what it's meant to be doing? Or is there more, more to it? There's been bad luck. Has it been a combination of things? Why, is it, why are we always talking about the Browns failing again and having to change things up again? <laughs> it's a good point. Um, it, maybe it's a tradition. You could call it the curse of Art Modell. You know, every, everybody keeps arguing Art Modell should be in the Hall of Fame. And, uh, you know, some of us point out he fired two of the four greatest coaches in NFL history <laughs> in Paul Brown and Bill Belichick. Um, he also fired Marty Schottenheimer. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, so, but um, in this situation, Haslam is unpredictable, but you can argue that for the last couple of years he stayed out of the out of the scene he, there's kind of an analogy with Dan Snyder there mm. um but they gave up on Sashi Sashi Brown did did what everyone this year was calling tank um you know basically trading star players for future draft picks they gave up on him at the point where he had accumulated quite a bit of talent and draft picks and Dorsey did I thought a pretty good job on paper of assembling on paper a roster that could compete then the question is keeping Freddie Kitchens as head coach was that a mistake was that Dorsey's mistake was it Haslam's mistake it was hard to go away from because he had had that success but you could argue that the you know he was still only an offensive coach Greg Williams was was running the defense and they really couldn't keep Greg Williams because he was expecting to be a head coach um, with them. I think, I think he thought he should be the head coach and Freddie should have been his um, offensive coordinator. So maybe that got out of hand for Dorsey, but I, I think, I, I honestly think that the reason Dorsey's gone is that Haslam has a GM coach package in mind. Right. I'm what not that? sure that I'm not, you know, there could be personal issues involved. They could, they could be saying, well, why did you bring in Odell Beckham when he was going to create problems or, you know, not be, not be the Odell Beckham that he was in New York, but actually he is the Odell Beckham he was in New York. Um, and no one paid attention. Um, you know, 
that that's that's really hard to put your finger on. Um, but Dorsey's now been fired twice in three years, which is you know interesting for a guy who's supposed to be a great judge of talent. Let's talk McDaniel's then, and we'll move on to other coaching situations. So. Uh, I guess specifically with him because we had the situation a few years back with the Colts where he took the gig that he didn't. Uh, He's always a coordinator or often a coordinator that when vacancies appear, his name is aligned to it either by founder speculation or or more than that. And inevitably he's going to be a head coach. And as you suggested, Mike, the, the Patriots succession plan makes a lot of sense but let's say that doesn't happen right let's say for whatever reason Belichick carries on and on and on and McDaniels gets fed up with that so much has been talked about him wanting to walk into the right situation so is that what are the things that make up a good situation you talked about talent on the field that's obviously something I guess the lack of interference from an owner is another what else do you think for a, an elite coordinator like McDaniels who can probably have the pick of the gigs what is it he's looking for? Well, those those things plus, you know, a, a good re- a good relationship with a general manager. You don't want to walk into a situation where you're, you know, the Bill Parcells quote, you're you're given the ingredients and told to make dinner. Um, you want to have you want to have some say in what the ingredients are, um, and and I think that's that's kind of the that's kind of the, the trio of, of reasons. Um, you know, pl- guys may have family reasons to want to be in one place or another. Good um, weather, good weather, obviously high on your Yeah, Well, you you know, your kids and schools, families, that, that kind of, but that usually doesn't factor in, I, I think as, as much as, as it probably ought to for a lot of, a lot of coaches. Um, the and the interesting thing in gambling, that's the big one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the interesting thing in new England is, you know, if, if McDaniels leaves and Casario leaves, Bill Belichick is pretty much, alone you know he's been his own defensive coordinator this year um and you know although they've been statistically the you know the best defensive team in the league for most of the season um i don't know what last week did did to the overall standings um yeah it's been a problem uh i think uh, adjusting and and at his age i don't know if bill's going to want to you know continue on he may have a a plan B in mind, you know, and finally, rather than keep promoting young coaches, he might be, um, you know, bringing in some veteran Get guys. Get the band back together, yeah. Yeah. Bring your Cordell but, back. And- well, well, yeah, you know, you look at Brett Bielma um, this year coming in, the, the former college head coach. Uh, but uh, I, I'm not, I, I'd be wary of Cleveland were I a Josh McDaniels. But on the other hand, if you're getting your general manager and the co- you've got promises from the owner to stay out, you know, the only problem in Cleveland is that I don't think you're going to be like Miami in, in sort of a three-year building plan or Oakland or whatever. You're not going to have that, that freedom. There, there's probably going to be after the first season, you know, a, a, a lot of, um, a lot of uh, clamor if you don't do relatively well. You'll be expected to do relativity well in the first season. Win early doors. In a, yeah. tough, divi- in a tough, division. tough division. Good point. And the precedent is there, as we've established, that you don't get as much time in Cleveland as you might elsewhere as well. All right, let's move on to, you mentioned Dan Snyder, to, to his Washington Redskins, who, of course, uh, took care of business for, before anyone else this season, getting rid of Jay Gruden during the season. And they've had an interim situation that they have now... Uh, re-upped and gone to Ron Rivera, who was relinquished of his duties from the Panthers, tail end of the season, of course, Riverboat Ron. Uh, Bruce Allen has gone as well, their president. Um, uh, Rivera in, and he's already moved quickly in terms of personnel staff and, and brought Jack Del Rio in as well. So already things uh, looking uh, much more secure for the Redskins, certainly in terms of getting stuff done early on. What do you make of 
where they've gone with Rivera and Rivera bringing in Del Rio. And again, applying that to this Redskins roster, and I know that a fair amount of change will happen from now to next season, but the nucleus of the talent that they have there with Haskins and uh, McLaurin, what do you make of what's happened in Washington over the last four or five days? It's going to be, that's going to be an interesting one. Uh, partially, you know, to see who replaces Bruce Allen, um, because he's forced out over the last couple of years, a couple of pretty good personnel guys. And he's been the guy who makes all the decisions. Um, and their roster has, has been over, over the, I don't know, past almost decade, I think one with a lot of talent, but no depth. Um, they've been incredibly vulnerable to injuries. Uh, they've made some bad decisions at key positions, not, not least of which the whole Kirk Cousins, um, what would you call it? Soap opera yeah. over a number of years where they kept franchising him and not, not making up your mind as to what you want to do with him. Um, so I think, you know, there'll be that. celebrations that Bruce Allen is gone. You know, just, you know, look at what, look at what he did with, with, um, with, with um, Williams this year, you know, their best player basically. And he doesn't play because they're feuding over his, you know, his medical treatment and, and money and, and they wouldn't sort that out either. Mm. So, um, with cousins though, Mike, can you, you know, with in retrospect, and I'm, I think a bigger cousin supporter than others, uh, uh it maybe won't go as far as to say I'm a cousin's apologist, but I don't, not a detractor in the way that many people are, but you, can you blame them for what we, I mean, cousins is, well, right you, on the, that the point, I think, so, yeah, I think the point was, um, you're not blaming them for keeping them or, or not keeping them. The point is that you didn't make a decision. Um, you could argue they did, he, he wound up franchise. costing, he wound up costing them more money by by franchising him than he would have if they signed him to a long-term contract and at some point you you know you have to you have to decide is he our guy or isn't he do we want to build a team around him or do we not and if you don't then you get rid of him and you bring in someone you do you know and and that was that was the core of the problem were they a better team with um with uh, uh, Alex Smith, the quarterback, potentially, you know, I thought good fit for Jay Gruden, but it didn't work out that way. Even when he was, you know, while he was healthy, um, are they going to be a better team with Haskins? Is Haskins going to start if Alex Smith comes back healthy, um, which he says he's going to this year? That's, you know, that's going to be, uh, it's going to be a serious question for them. Um, and can they bring the, can they bring, um, um, Trent Williams back, um, or is he just going to, you know, at this point, just going to quit? Rivera's a good um, player coach, you know, a, a good coach for players, a guy players like playing for. Um, Del Rio was the same way. I think defensively, they'll, they'll be on the same page, more more or less. So, you know, we'll see who they bring in as a coordinator. I keep thinking Norv Turner's going to show up <laughs> as their coordinator. And, you know, and Norv, of course, was a head coach in Washington that um, that Dan Snyder let go. You know, he keeps letting coaches go who do better than the coaches who follow them, um, <laughs> which is right. an interesting, starting with Marty Schottenheimer, going back right. to him again, you know, and then, and then Norv, you know, and, and, you know, be careful of what you wish for because you right. might get it. That That's kind of Dan Snyder's motto. Marty mentioned him a few times. Tough breaks, hasn't he? Really, because he got he was he fired by the charges. The, char- the charges was yeah. the worst one. I mean, you know, <laughs> he, he had what was it a, a four thirteen and three season? Yeah, fourteen two. Yeah, yeah, I think it was. 14. Yeah, and he loses in the playoffs in a game that he should have won. You know, it wasn't his fault that that um, that. Uh, 
his they get an interception and then turn it back to the Patriots. But yeah. you know, a bad reason to be fired. You know, yeah. and yeah, you know. tough breaks for Marty. Yeah, so the Chargers are, I guess, are not in this. Um, right. Well, com- let's look at that. Yes, yeah, conversation. Two. Although Philip Rivers may be gone, which is very interesting. Yeah, well, so surprised that they haven't moved to Anthony Lynn is one of those coaches that Adam Gase at the Jets as well. There was speculation, despite the fact they'd given him the vote of dreaded vote of confidence during the season, the front office that, um, or the ownership, I should say, that the, the Gase might be gone. Yeah, there's a couple, you know, Gase, Vic Fangio, um, Dan Quinn, uh, they're, they're second half coaches. They, Mm. they've had a good second half of the season, which, gives enough reason to keep them in the management's mind. Um, in Fangio's case, you know, now you've found who's the guy who's probably going to be your quarterback of the future in Drew Locke. So, so that's a reason. Um, Quinn was actually fun for a few weeks watching him on the sidelines because he'd obviously relaxed and just decided to go with it, probably figuring that, you know, there was nothing he could lose at that point. Um, so he's, he's going to be back. Gay's first year coach, a first-year coach will always get rehired if if he fits that pattern of having a bad first half and a good second half. Right. Because they're saying, okay, there was the adjustment period. Um, you know, there's an old thing. If, if you go 8-0 and, and then go 0-8, oh you're going to get fired. But if you go 0-8 oh and, and go 8-0, eight and eight and oh, you're going get, to get, get kept. But in both <laughs> cases, your team went 8-8. Eight eight. Right. <laughs> it's like, but it's the way it goes. Lynn, I, I thought Lynn – would get fired basically because they the team just seems so um, unable to win a game, which the Chargers always have been a team that finds ways to lose, not just under Anthony Lynn. Um, but they they really they really seem to just play themselves out of games too often. And I know they had injuries in the offensive line, but you know injuries is part of the game. And, and, um, you can only use it as so much an excuse, but he'll, he'll have another chance. The river situation will impact the team one way or another. I'm not, I'm not sure that the coordinator Philip Rivers thing is, is an easy gap to solve. And I could be wrong here, but Norv Turner on the surface of it seemed like a perfect coordinator or Philip Rivers seemed like a perfect quarterback for a Norv Turner kind of offense. Um, just like just like uh, Cousins had in Minnesota, but it doesn't seem to work out that way. And I think, you know, Norv may just be, the offense may just be a little too easy for defenses to cope with. But, you know, that I don't know. It wasn't Anthony Lynn who messed up the Melvin Gordon situation. I, I don't think they use Austin Eckler enough, which is strange because they use him a lot. Um, but he's going to be a free agent, and I don't know if they'll keep him because they might not be able to afford to keep both him and Gordon. Um, so that, that's, that's, an interesting, um, that's an interesting one to watch. But uh, I want to know who the, mouth, the first mouth clown who got the nugget, the nugget in before anyone else that Doug Marone was fired. <laughs> sure, so Marone, I mean, God, talk about, he's maybe along with Matt Patricia there, the biggest example of uh, yeah. escapology. <laughs> the b- biggest being the operative word, because they, those two are like in a race to see who can be the next Andy <laughs> Reid. Um, and, and Patricia's winning, I'll tell you. I, I'm not sure about why Patricia was, was kept, um, apart from maybe they the thought it would be factor, too, right? too embarrassing to fire him um, and Quinn, the, the, the general manager. Um, well, the staff but, but he also has the quarterback that, excuse. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so you can use, you can use that one. Um, Marone's also, case. I guess they might be looking, Mike, at, you know, going 
right to the top of our show pretty much and saying we don't want to be like the Browns. We don't want to be firing coaches after yeah, one season. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. And, of course, you know, there was a lot of Jim Caldwell memeing going around mm-hmm. um, with a couple of weeks to go in the season because Caldwell was fired after a winning season, um, which is an unusual thing in Detroit. Uh, not the firing, the winning season. Um, and, and if you go back, you know, they, they did the same thing a few years before that. You know, they missed the playoffs on a late touchdown and, and they fired the coach and, you know, and the new coach came in and they, they missed the playoffs <laughs> by the 12th week of the season. Um, right. the, so I, I don't know how Marone survived. and I don't Actually, what's weird there is that Caldwell and Marone are both there and Coughlin's out. Now, Coughlin's role in that organization never seemed to be very clearly defined. And, you know, I'm not sure Coughlin knew what it was, to be honest. Um, but to get rid of him and keep the coach and general manager mm, seems like the easy way out, put it that way. Um, and I, I would expect that both of them are, are kind of walking the plank. This is like a do it this year or not kind of situation. But Jacksonville has certainly gone backwards since the year that they, you know, um, they were going to be the next great team in the, in yeah. the NFL and they beat the Patriots in week two or week three, whatever it was of the following season and then collapsed from that point on. Maybe. I mean, you know, I wonder if it's the, it's the Gardner Minshew factor, if they're going to be. That's a really that good way. point that because Minshew, Minshew reminds me of Fitz in a way. Mm. Um, he's great. He was great when he came in and creates a, a change in the atmosphere and stuff. But if you have him as your 16 week quarterback, is he actually going to be good enough to get you all the way or, or a good portion of the way? And that's always been the situation with Fitz, you know, and in his best years, he's taken teams to the first round of the playoffs, you know, probably his best season with the Jets. And then he had one real Fitz game in the, in the first round of the playoffs. Um, and that's going to be, I mean, that Minshew could have a long and successful career like that, just the way that Fitzpatrick has, because it's better than what a lot of guys can give you. Um, and certainly Fitz played a great game on, um, on Sunday against the Patriots. Uh, but I'm not sure that he's the guy who's going to carry you all season long, particularly if your offensive coordinator or your, or your is, is not, uh, Minshew friendly, mm. you know, and, and trying to, to make a, uh, an offense that's going to work for him. And you can't really, you could conceivably get the same offense to work for Nick Foles and, and for Minshew. And I think that's what, um, Filippo tried to do um, at the start, but eventually teams caught up to Minshew's limitations. And then, you know, then he doesn't play for a few weeks and they surprise start him. And it take, it took teams by surprise, took me by surprise. I, you know, um, I might've, I might've picked the Jags. <laughs> <laughs> the, well, the, his evolution and, and certainly in sophomore season is going to be interesting to watch. Same moving to the Giants now who've made a change with Daniel Jones, who had a, a an up and down entirely predictable for a rookie quarterback season in, in the league, but it, it wasn't enough to save Pat Sherma. We were talking on the pod about the final week of the season, Sherma's body language and the way he was interacting with the players on the sidelines. He looked, yeah, there's a lot of speculation anyway, but he knew that the end was coming. This is the way that he was behaving, I think, in that, in that game. And it was announced that, uh, by John Mara that, uh, he's gone, but Dave Gettleman, their GM, is coming back. So do you think they got that the right way around? Um, 
a shock, but not a surprise. Yeah, I'm Shermer had to go. I mean, Pat Shermer is what he is. Um, you know, it's it's an odd coincidence that his Giants record is nine and twenty three, and his overall record before he went to the Giants was ten and twenty three as a right. head coach. Um, he's an okay offensive coordinator. Um, I don't think I don't think he's just like just like I was saying uh, with Freddie Kitchens. I'm not sure he's got the kind of big picture skills that that make a great head coach. The Giants are a team that, like the Steelers, favors continuity, calmness, um, tradition, whatever you want to call it, not as successfully as the Steelers in the past four decades or whatever. Um, but I'm not sure what Gettleman has done to suggest that he should stay. Um whether the, you know, the personnel additions have been great. I, I've said when they drafted, you know, Jones, that Jones was Eli Manning. Um, you know, that's, that's what they were looking for. And that's how he played uh, a few more turnovers than Eli, but, but that presumably the fumbling that will, will slow down as he's, as he gets older. Um, and I, I, you know, they, they built, an offensive line. They spent a lot of money on Nate Solder, for example, with no with no great success. Gettleman's great at judging big big beefs on the defensive line. That's what he did in Carolina. Um, he comes from the Giants originally, so he's in that in that kind of you know Bill Parcells, Tom Coughlin, George, even go back to George Young kind of kind of mindset. But I just I just don't know. You know, it'd be interesting to think of what if they had a stronger charactered head coach, you know, not necessarily a better guy than Pat Shermer, but a guy with, you know, more in the, in the Coughlin mode, what the Odell Beckham situation would have been, you know, would there, would he be able to, to sort of keep that talent in line and focused on helping the team rather than, you know, making one great catch a year uh, to be on, to be in the decade highlight films or whatever. Um so you know, I, I'm wa- I'm watching this one. This is going to be an interesting one to watch because I'm not sure how much influence Gettleman will have over who they hire as coach. They've asked you know to talk to McDaniel's. They've asked to talk to Matt Rule um, <clears throat> at Baylor. Rule apparently you know has, has said he's going to stay there, but college coaches say lots of things, and very rarely in in terms of jobs keep keep to what they say. Um, and I'm wondering if if um, there might be some other college coach, you know, in in the picture, like Urban Meyer, say, who, you know, went to that Washington, New York oh, game and everybody thought, yeah. you know, Jerry Jones was going to be watching. And, and there's a lot of talk that Meyer might be going to Dallas if Jason Garrett does get fired. And Well, he's good. Let's, let, let's end on the, the coaching chat. Yeah, there's there. that so big, five, you know, yeah. in Dealey Plaza now, there's this huge screen with like, you know, minutes to go till Jason Garrett is fired. <laughs> um no, they're not. <laughs> yeah, they talk about the Zapruder film. Uh, <laughs> so I tell you, there, there's, there's various theories, right? There's there's the theory that Jerry Jones wants the Cowboys to be like the Giants and and be a big family, you know, the Mara, and he can be Wellington Mara because Wellington Mara was the closest thing that the NFL had to royalty, you know. Um, mm. And that's purely because you've been around, and you know, because Tim Mara bought the Giants was a bookie. You know, it's not like this guy's descended from actual noble nobility in in britain or, or ireland or whatever so anyway 
Jerry Jones wants to be that. That's one theory. So, mm-hmm. so Garrett's part of the family and he's having a hard time getting rid of him or figuring out if he can make him like vice president of stuff. Um, That'd be a great gig. In the front office. Yeah, I'd, I'd take that. Yeah, you'd be great. And, um, the second theory is that, is that Garrett's got the picks. You know, nobody knows what, who the picks are of or what they're of, but <laughs> if he gets fired, the picks go, oh, go oh, to actual pictures. I thought you yeah. had, I was thinking draft picks. He oh, not draft picks. No pictures. Yeah. Pick. Yeah. He's photos, like a... you know, and then they go to Buzzfeed if, um, if he gets fired or, oh my God, or TMG I mean, be... or, or whatever. Um, and then, uh, but, and then the other the other theory, which, which I think maybe maybe right, is that Jerry isn't going to let Garrett go until he's got Plan B in place. In place. And you know the latest rumor, of course, was Urban Meyer or or Link um, Lincoln Riley as Plan B, and I think that's a really interesting one um, because if you remember when Jerry hired his college teammate Jimmy Johnson as head coach of Dallas. He brought in a hugely successful college coach who'd been successful at two programs, um, Oklahoma State and, and Miami, and took control, which is, you know, something that in the end wound up getting him fired because Jimmy Johnson was getting all the credit and Jerry, who was already the general manager there and, you know, and working on the same page with Jimmy, didn't like that. So who did he go to when he fired, um, Jimmy Johnson? Barry Switzer from Oklahoma. Mm-hmm successful college coach in, in what was then the big eight um, didn't, didn't rock the boat. Didn't, didn't take the spotlight away from Jerry Jones. And when you look at urban Meyer and Lincoln Riley, they fit those two profiles almost perfectly. Meyer's a guy who wants complete control, you know, builds himself up to heart attacks because he's such a, you know, a, a micromanager and, and um, you know, a details kind of guy. And, and I think a very talented coach who probably could do well in the NFL. Riley's the kind of the opposite. Riley, you want to, you know, Riley's had huge success at Oklahoma, but that's because he's Oklahoma and playing in the big 12. Um, Riley is Cliff Kingsbury. Mm. Um, so as, those as a coach, like- he comes out of that, te- you know, Texas Tech program. And I'm not convinced that Riley's got the big picture thing to be a great coach in the NFL. In the NFL. But both of them, I mean, Riley's got a whole lot of buzz about him because of what's happened at Oklahoma in recent years in particular. And, uh, and Meyer's got that as he, as you suggested. Wouldn't it be great to see him in a big team or at a big team in the NFL? So they're both going to come with a lot of attention, aren't they? And hype. Oh yeah, I mean there'll be a lot of attention. Obviously, there'll, there'll be attention for anybody. But you know, Meyer Meyer coached well, first at Bowling Green um, and then Utah, where he had great success, and um, then to Miami, um, as I mean Florida, sorry, and um, and then at Ohio State, and he was successful. And in bowl games, he's been you know um, I don't think I don't think Riley I think Riley's lost every bowl game he's played in. Meyer Meyer was like. Um, at Ohio State, he's, he's only been four and three, I think. But at Utah and Florida, he was like seven and one. Now, it's harder for Utah to get into a big bowl game. Um, and in Florida, it was a bit hard. But that's, that's, you know, that's a, an impressive record in bowl games when you're playing against the best other teams in the country. Sure. Um, so as you can see, I'm, I'm much, I'm much, stronger on Urban Meyer as a potential NFL coach than I am on on Lincoln Riley. Um, Isn't the point, though, that Garrett, and I I take your point with Switzer, uh, it was before (laughs) I was covering the NFL, so I don't remember it as well as you do, but they were 
as you, I think you even said, look, they didn't take the attention away from Jerry Jones. The, right. the two names you're talking about are much higher profile characters, aren't they? Yeah, but well, Riley Meyer will be a focus of attention. But Meyer, Meyer, I I would assume would demand a certain amount of guaranteed autonomy. And I don't know how you do that with Jerry. Um, you know, we, he and his son basically run run the personnel department, and and, and Jerry is, is the GM. Um, Riley would have much less leverage in that kind of discussion. So, you know, I think, I think he would be content to come in and just be the coach. Um, you know, and, and, and in fairness, it's not a bad situation for a talented coach because sure. there is a lot of talent on the team. team. Jerry, yeah, yeah. Jerry's not a bad general manager. Um, you know, there, there've been certain holes in the Cowboys over the years, but he does recognize talent. He, he does listen a bit, at least to his son. He listened to the scouts when they, you know, when they went with uh, Frederick as, as the first pick and he wanted to take a quarterback and they talked him out of that. And, and Dak's been pretty successful. And I think the big thing that either Meyer or Riley would bring to that team is the potential of unleashing Dak Prescott um, in an offense that will be more Dak friendly um, than, than it's been. Um, and not that you know, not that it's been bad for him, but Garrett's offenses have been even with Kellen Moore at quarterback, who um, you know had a pretty good start of the year, and then teams caught up with what he was and wasn't doing. You know, um, yeah. The um, so, two more things on the Cowboys, and we're going to your top five, Mike. Because we've got yeah, some in apparently, well. the, apparently, one other thing: there is um, Oklahoma's lost a recruit already, mm. um, a, a high school quarterback who who was being recruited, and people are looking at that as a sign that Lincoln Riley is going to the NFL. That doesn't necessarily mean he's going to Dallas, but Dallas would be the kind of like the front-running obvious choice. Because uh, he said, the quarterback had said that if uh, he decommitted, as they call it, from the Sooners because he, if Lincoln Riley wasn't going to be there, then, then he was going to look elsewhere. So people are joining the dots there. Yeah, it's funny when, uh, funny when a 17-year-old kid or 18-year-old kid is ahead of everybody else. <laughs> no, the page. Yeah, there you go. Maybe he could tip off whoever had the Doug Marone story as well and see if... Uh, <laughs> see if yeah, I wish I could remember who the first guy was who said Marone's definitely oh, out. But, you know, this rush the, um, to be the first tweet is ridiculous. <laughs> life in the fast lane. The other key thing about the Cowboys, and getting to your top five, is the... It's a technicality, but I think one that is maybe being a little bit overlooked, that Jerry Jones doesn't need to fire Jason Garrett. His contract runs down. Right, he's right. Re up it. So yeah, uh, he's got till he's, he's got till the fourteenth. I think um, yeah. is when the contract expires. Yeah, so that might explain quite a lot as well. All right, let's get in. We'll do mailbag he, at the end. He but, could be punishing Garrett. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly right. Uh, let's get into your top five. And as we said at the top of the show, it's a fun, fun packed top five <laughs> this week. It's the top five most disappointing players of the se- of the season. I'm presuming as opposed of to the season. Time. Yeah. yeah. Okay. yeah. Yeah, and right. okay, the honorable mentions of course, of were course. Let's start with it. Seven, eight, Joe Flacco, who <laughs> I, you yeah. can't say was disappointing because anybody with half a brain knew what was going to happen um, <laughs> when he went when he went to Denver. So I, I can't. Uh, the only person who's disappointed is John Elway, who thought that that was going to be the thing that worked. And I put Kirk Cousins in the same situation um, because Cousins perpetually is a disappointment. But people overestimate how good he is. And, you know, a lot of people 
I won't mention any names, um, but when we were, you know, when we were doing the games at Wembley, a lot of people were saying Cousins ought to be MVP, or, and Matt Stafford ought to be MVP, and that kind of thing <laughs> early in the season. Um, but Cousins, did I it, did I throw it, Matt Cousins, Stafford? I did throw Matt Stafford as an MVP candidate. Yeah, Cousins almost inevitably is a disappointment because I think you know he is what he is, and and he can make you some plays, and he won't make you some plays, but he doesn't consistently do it. It's so, a bit too soon to write Cousins off, but anyway, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, he's not – he's a good quarterback. Um, he's just not a, a great quarterback. Um, so going down the list now, um, at, at five, it's a, it's a dual package of Trey Flowers and Trent Brown, the two guys who the Patriots really miss <laughs> and who got huge money to go to other teams and were not disappointments on the field, but they were what they were. And for that kind of money, you really need them to be that and something else. <laughs> it's like Trent Brown played, went back to right tackle for the Raiders. Do you really want to spend that much money on a right tackle? Right. Even if you are a run first team. And Trey Flowers went to Matt Patricia. We said, you know, great fit, all that kind of stuff. But the impact that Trey Flowers makes is not the impact of, of a guy who, who registers to 15 sacks. He, he played really well. He had a good season, um, but they, they still needed another ingredient to make that defense work better. Um, and they spent a lot of money on that defense, and, and it really, I think, underperformed. Um, at number four, I've got Phillip Rivers, um, which – the Chargers as a whole disappointed, and, and the offensive line made Rivers' season a lot worse than it needed to be. But Rivers has become a kind of Brett Favre light, where everything revolves around him getting the ball into places where he, he doesn't always get it. And he's had some really bad games, um, you know, and it's not for want of talent. It's not for want of effort um, or toughness or anything like that. It's just that I don't think he's in the position where he can, he can carry that team the way he thinks he can, not even that the coaches think he can. Um, so I think he's, he's kind of a, a, a what would you call it? A, a millstone on that. Um, Josh it. Rosen. Not a huge disappointment, but the story was it was a good pickup for the Dolphins with the set for a second round pick. He was on a terrible team in Arizona, so give him a chance with a good team. <laughs> well, you know how that worked out because the <laughs> Dolphins were a terrible team. <laughs> they, the next thing they do is they get rid of their left tackle. <laughs> they get rid of their running back. They get rid of, you know. Um, so yeah, the question, as opposed to I, I think that Rosen's ceiling is Jared Goff. And his floor is probably below Kyle Bowler's. And, Ouch. And, and what we've seen, what we've seen is floor for two years. So, you know, there's a floor in his game, you might say. Nice. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I suspect Fitz will be the starter there next year. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, they may drive, they may even draft another quarterback because they've got three first round picks. I, I don't think they'll go crazy trying to get Joe Burrow. Um, but they could pick up a quarterback, you know, to bring along and, and compete with Rosen for that second job. And, you know, maybe Rosen will come through with some team in the end. I, I don't know. Um, I've got two, I've got two parlays tied at second. Of course you have. Nick Foles and Leonard Fournette. Okay. I like it. Um, <laughs> you know, Foles has the excuse of being hurt, obviously, but when he came back, he was, you know, by that point, the Jags had given up, I think. So it was an unfair kind of judgment, but, but he couldn't really do much. And Fournette is Fournette. You know, it's, it's like you keep waiting for him to, 
you know, people, there are a lot of people who would say that Saquon Barkley or even Zeke Elliott were disappointments this year. Sure. Because they didn't carry the Saquon, team the, I think so. yeah. the way that the team is designed to be built. Now, in Barkley's, you know, for Barkley, you could say, well, the Giants had no receivers for most of the season, so it was easy for teams to key up on him. Yeah. Um, for Elliott, it's, you know, I don't know how you, how you, how you uh, work that one. He seems to be up and down. But, but Fournette really has not been at the top. He hasn't delivered at the top level since maybe his rookie season and yeah. then got hurt. And I don't know, um, you know, if, if injuries are part of that, like they are, you know, we give Todd Gurley a break because we assume that he's injured mm. and playing through it. You know, Fournette could be kind of the same way. Um, and the second part of the parlay is another, is another dual entry. Um, and, and this one probably with a lot more justification, Baker Mayfield and Odell Beckham Jr. Um, <laughs> you know, Mayfield, Mayfield's another guy who I th- I say he is what he is, and you really need to adjust to that. And Freddie Kitchens did last year, but I think he couldn't adjust further this year. So teams tried to keep him in the pocket, make him you know make him see over the linemen, make him make his choices that way. And you thought that with Landry and Odell Beckham and Njoku that that would be relatively easy for him to do. But Beckham, you know, Beckham was Beckham. He just wasn't showing up for much of much of the season. He he wasn't making the the everyday catches you need you need to make, which is what Landry is so good at. You know, it's why they they would they should be such a good pair uh, because you you know if you account for Beckham over the top, then you you can't necessarily double Landry on the shorter routes. And Landry's kind of like an Anquan Bolden type, you know, who who will run the tough routes and make the tough catches. So you you have to think that that parlay is a huge disappointment and when you consider you know um when you consider uh, Landry's uh, sorry Mayfield Mayfield's um history with the team and you consider Odell Beckham's history with the Giants you ought to have seen it coming you know it was like guys tend to be what they are unless unless someone makes them be something else and Freddie Kitchens wasn't the guy wasn't to make them be something else but the winner and the absolute kind of letdown of the season um, strategy gone wrong, personal strategy gone wrong, money gone wrong from the team. Le'Veon Bell, living the Vion Rose <laughs> in, in New Jersey <laughs> with the Jets. I mean, what were they thinking of? Leon, Le'Veon Bell was supposed to turn this team into a contender, you know, by running and he, he just wasn't dominant and you have to be dominant. Why wasn't he dominant? Well, maybe because they didn't have a Ben Roethlisberger taking some of the pressure off him or an Antonio Brown downfield or a Juju Smith Schuster downfield. You know, maybe Adam Gaze wasn't able to do with him what, what you need to do with him. But when they gave him the ball, he did not deliver. I, you know, game after game after game. Eight catches, 35 yards. You know, 12 carries, 50 yards. That's not what you're paying the Le'Veon Bell money for. And just Where to does end he play it, next season, Mike? Let me remind you <laughs> that he could have had more money if he stayed in Pittsburgh. Stayed in Pittsburgh, of course. Of course. So uh, it's loose, loose for everyone. Where does he play next season, Le'Veon Bell? Stays at the Jets. Um, I assume with the Jets. Yeah. You know, and I assume that Gaze will go back and, you know, and, and think about what they did and, and, and try to, try to use, use him in, you know, in a, in a better way. Um, but you know, Livion Bell has the talent if you put the, a line in front of him and, and, you know, that to be a, a dual threat operator the same way, a, a Kamara or a, um, 
um, a hunt um, is, you know, um, and that that's kind of the audit off, offense that they, they need to be running uh, and take some of the pressure off him with Robbie Anderson downfield or somebody downfield, you know, that just didn't seem to work for them. Right, couple from the mailbag, and we've got to get out of Dodge. So we'll go first to uh, Reese. I like this one, and I think you might as well, Mike. Reese asks, was 2019 Belichick's worst draft class? In Keel Harry, in the first round, looks like a huge stretch, he says, and as good as Isaiah Wynn has been, he missed nine games. Well, Isaiah Wynn was 2018. Um, you know, but he he missed, he missed his whole rookie season. You know, so the question is, you know, what Harry's a disappointment in a sense, but I, I, I'm not sure it's his worst draft class because their drafts tend to be, you know, one or two successes. And they they do a lot of throwing things at the wall. Um, wait till next year. They traded away a lot of draft picks for very little return this year, mm-hmm. trying to fill those gaps. Um, part of the problem is that they don't often, they sometimes don't trust young players enough. And you see this most this year with Tom Brady and the young receivers. Now, you know, Jacoby Myers, undrafted guy. Um, Harry, the first draft pick and started the year hurt. So he didn't join the team till halfway through the season. But, but you make a mistake and Brady tends to wipe you out and, and, you know, and hesitate to throw to you. And that's been their problem this year is that, you know, he doesn't have a guy who he can throw to apart from Edelman. And, you know, you saw what Buffalo did. They doubled Edelman. Um, and the other guys couldn't step up, you know, um, Philip Dorsett. Why has um, Sanu been so disappointing? Because he was a pretty dependable. Yeah, and they gave a second round pickup for yeah. him, which I thought was crazy at the time. He's He's been a dependable guy. He just doesn't seem to have that much left in the tank right now. Right. Um, right. And you kept waiting for him to sort of, okay, he's a smart receiver. He's going to yeah. get the system quickly. He'll be where Brady needs to be, but then he doesn't, didn't make the catches all the time. Yeah. Um, and he, and he wasn't, you know, he wasn't able to get open is basically the problem um, to, to, to get, to get those, um, to get those plays. So, yeah, I, I don't know if this is a particularly bad draft for Bill. You, you, you have to wait to judge them, but in terms of, sure of what they needed for this season, it didn't deliver. You know, we thought Harry would be someone who could step up and create mismatches the way, you know, take part of the slack of losing Gronk away. And then you have to ask yourself why they didn't pick up a tight end, you know, this year or the year before, you know, when when they could have had Dallas Goddard one year was available at the point where they were picking. They wound up getting Duke Dawson, who's now with the now with the uh, Broncos and not playing. <laughs> One more for you, Mike. Uh, are the 49ers, asked Keith, good this season because of or despite Jimmy Garoppolo? <sighs> Neither, I don't think. I don't think Garoppolo holds them back. Um, I don't think he's the reason they're there. The reason they're there is their defense primarily. Um, the secondary thing is the offense, um, and which is Shanahan scheming. Um, uh, and you know, they, they had a good draft pick, um, in, in, um, um, Debo and, um, a good trade for Emmanuel Sanders, which gives him, which gives him the threats on all levels. So Garoppolo is delivering what the offense needs. Um, there might be some quarterbacks who could do it a bit better, more accurately. He d- hasn't been throwing downfield at all. Um, or been accurate when he does. Uh, so that's, that's, you know, uh, I I don't think with say Matt Ryan at quarterback they would be that much better. Mm-hmm. Um, 
especially given the problems they had in the offensive line this season. And Garoppolo was able to cope with that pretty well. Um, you know, so no, you know, I, I think they are, they are pretty much as they are with or without Jimmy G. One more. I lied. I said one more for the road, two more for the road. Uh, from the Full 10 Yards crew, shout out to them, of course. Fantastic pod. Go check them out. Um, are the Packers, asked the Full 10 Yards crew, the most flattered number two seed ever? I don't think so. Um, I actually, you know, if you look at, um, if you look at some teams going back, uh, you, you look at a quarterback carrying a team, which is kind of what, um, which is kind of what Aaron Rodgers has done. Um, but I mean, remember the Bears? They were a second seed with Kyle Orton, uh, yeah, at quarterback right. as a rookie. And then Rex Grossman came Grossman, back yeah. when they made it, you know, to the Super Bowl. Um, the Dolphins in 92 who lost to the Bills, um, who were the better team, I think, but Marino had carried them kind of, um, to the playoff situation. Um, the Steelers with Neil O'Donnell. Uh, went all the way to the Super Bowl. Yeah. You know, it, it, they're not, when you're in that second seed, it's not, you know, it, it gives you a bit of an advantage, obviously. Um, what I'm just trying to think, um, the Stan Humphreys Chargers, the, the, um, the Falcons with, um, Chandler at quarterback, um, when they, when the Vikings should have beat them, but Anderson missed the uh, field goal, uh, there and Gary Anderson and then, uh, and then Morton Anderson made it. Um, I think, I think most of the time what you see are teams without great quarterbacks getting those second seeds and without, you know, sometimes with very good defenses, but, but not necessarily Tampa Bay, uh, Ravens turn of the century defenses. And then you get occasionally the team that the quarterback's carrying, um, which, which was sort of the Marino Dolphins. Um, their, their defense is good, but not great coming along. Uh, and Rodgers, you know, I, I think every game I've picked in the last three years, five years, when you look at Green Bay, you just think, okay, can Aaron Rodgers throw three touchdown passes against this team or throw enough <laughs> touchdown passes yeah, exactly. to beat, you know, uh, yeah. and, and, and this year, I mean, the, look at the game, look at the game on, on Sunday. The big yeah. play of that game was, was Rodgers somehow getting rid of a ball to Aaron Jones, you know, when he's yeah. like in the grasp and turned around and he gets the ball to Aaron Jones and then Aaron Jones you know, makes a tremendous individual run into field goal range and they win the game. And they win it, yeah, and they nick it when they were uh, up against it. Yeah, really, they are an odd team, the, the, the Packers, but as you uh, suggested, maybe there isn't that much different about this uh, incarnation to what we've seen in the past. Uh, lovely stuff, Mike. Uh, FMTE uh, forward slash FMTE. Mike Carlson is the Patreon site to uh, read Mike's stylings. We're picking the playoff games, I'm guessing. Mike, you'll be picking the playoff games, I'm guessing. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, on Friday, <laughs> the, play, the playoff games. Well, I, thought, I thought you were on a roll, Matt. Um, <laughs> yeah, playoff games on Friday. It'll be up um, a little bit of recap, and then you know through the rest of the month, uh, we'll fill out the fill out the column with picking uh, the you know the all rookie team, the the all league team, um, that kind of stuff. Lovely stuff. Get involved with that. And uh, my Mike, we're back next week to pick over the bones of the wild. Yeah, one one thing I will not do is pick pick the Pro Bowl. (laughs) I think we should do an hour long special on the Pro Bowl. (laughs) That will be that will unstick you against the computer. That will be his last laugh. Accu score. We'll nail the Pro Bowl. Uh, Cracking stuff, Mike. We'll see you see you next week. Okay. Have a good one.
Lovely stuff from I, Mike. He's back uh, next Wednesday, each and every Wednesday, of course. We're back Friday. Marek Larwood in the house for our wild card uh, special. We're rolling all the way through the playoffs up to and including the Super Bowl. We're going to be out in Miami dropping episodes every day. We're going to have some live shows as well from Miami. All kinds of good stuff as we gear up to the big shows. Stay with us through January, the business end of the season, as they say, uh, for all your NFL news and views. We'll see you Friday. Bye for now. Podcast Network.